0: That jarring cacophony tells you that once again, you're listening to the Power of Three podcast, the Doctor Who podcast that over the first 23 days of November is bringing you an episode a day, complete madness, to give you a guide to lots of stories featuring the Doctor in print and possibly we might even go into other, another media perhaps later in the month. But hey, stay tuned and find out what we're doing. We're on the podcast that likes to discuss, digest, discourse and disagree as we chat about all things Doctor Who. My name's Kenny Smith, and I'm joined, as ever, by my fellow book lover, and man-about-town, all-round gentleman, and international man of mystery. Who's not so international? It's Dave Steele.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. I'm, I'm vaguely international because I've been I've been to Paris this year and down to Derby, of course, with your good self, yes, and to London true. this year. So that, yep. that borders
0: the centre. Yeah is as international as me watching the barbie film and spotting venice beach where i had been just a few months ago back in february and thinking "Shitty Gatwa has been where
1: i've been or i've been where Shitty Gatwa has been for that scene in the beach yay that's quite international i suppose yes listeners an episode a day how many of you been able to listen to because i'm not sure how many i've been able to keep up with at this <laughs> point um god, god bless you as if you are fantastic yes. today i believe we're talking about birthright by
0: that nigel robinson We are indeed, I think it's New Adventure number 17, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. As I quickly go check, yes it is. Oh my God, I'm good. Yep, released in August, 1993. Of course this was Nigel's second and I believe final New Adventure because of course he'd done Apocalypse, book number three, way back in the Time Worm schedule. So yeah, it's um, an interesting one. So yeah, Dave, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Uh, I know it's got a great cover by Peter Elson. Tell us a bit about it.
1: Gorgeous cover. It's, It's basically, it's, you're, we're down by the Thames, listeners, it's very foggy. You can see like you know, old buildings looming through them at the morning mist or maybe the evening mist. It looks like the sun's coming up slowly. And the TARDIS is in the mud by the side of the river. And It's not looking in the best of shapes, but in the foreground, wearing a sort of monk's robe type outfit. It's a humanoid looking insect guy with huge mandibles and wide eyes and claws for hands. It's one of the best new adventure covers. I had it as my wallpaper on my phone for ages at one point because it's just so. As I always say on the socials, it's so proper Doctor Who. You've got that juxtaposition of the TARDIS and and in in a very unusual setting and a scary monster in front of it. It's it's classic, absolutely classic.
0: Yep, it is. It's it's such a great cover. It really rules you in and it makes you want to pick the book up and have a look uh, with that uh, with the child on the cover
1: do you know what as i as i take my spec my specs off and peer at it closely i think i realized for the first time that, that i think that's the house of parliament is looming through the mist behind because that looks like big ben i've never noticed that before in <laughs> 30 years well I'm there sorry. you go listeners fantastic and i always scoff when i listen to other podcasts and people claim not to have noticed things but there we are i think <laughs> probably because my eyes all just been caught by the the detail in the Beastie and the detail in the tardis yep with the wrong there roof hey, or yeah. something awesome so um, I now encourage some some Doctor Who fans to go out and recreate this cover using a model TARDIS and by cosplaying as one of the alien beasties go for it. Yes, post your, your photos on our Facebook page we can have a laugh. <laughs>
0: yep. So Dave, can you tell us what does the back cover have to say about this one?
1: The back cover back cover blurb back cover blurb for Nigel Robinson's birthright reads As such I feel like a pawn in a blasted chess game ace. I know what you mean. Trouble is, you keep changing the chess players. That bit's in heavier type, because it's a quote you see, listeners. The TARDIS has died. Stranded in early 20th century London, Bernice can only stand and watch as it slowly disintegrates. In the East End, a series of grisly murders has been committed. Is this the work of the ghostly Springheel Jack, or as Bernice suspects, something even more sinister? In a tiny shop in Bloomsbury, the master of a grand order of sorcerers is nearing the end of a 700-year quest for a fabled magic wand. And in a barren world in the far distant future, the queen of a dying race pleads for the help of an old hermit named Muldwitch. While Ace leads a group of gorillas in a desperate struggle against their alien oppressors. These events are related. Perhaps the doctor knows how. But the doctor has gone away. Ooh. The blurb continues with the usual little spiel about full length original novels based on the longest running science fiction series of all time. And we get a short biography of Nigel Robinson. We're told he was for several years the editor in charge of novelisations based on Doctor Who television stories. Now, a freelance writer and editor, he has written several Doctor Who novelisations, various other books about the programme, one of the earliest new adventures, as Kenny said, Time Warm Apocalypse. As well as novels based on Indiana Jones, among numerous TV and film spin-offs, Nigel wrote the novelization of Edge of Destruction, which is one of the be- uh, another one of the best Doctor Who books ever written.
0: Totally agree.
1: <laughs> totally I think concur. I think they worked on the worked on the, um, the novel range for as long as he did. Nigel was one of these people who just gets Doctor Who. He knows the components, how to make it work, the basics, and it never feels like it's phoned in. It always feels strong and authentic. When I got this my copy of Birthright. Um hold, hold the up to show the, the signature for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. See that? Oh, there, there we go. Um, yeah. And Kenny and I, the the book-themed convention back in May of this year, I got my copy signed and sort of said to him, you know, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always enjoyed his books. They were always properly solid. It's a shame he never wrote some more.
0: I agree. I think he's fantastic. Um, I mean, I think Birthright is a great book because, I mean, this in many ways, Sets you know precedent for some future new adventures, and that the doctor is off screen for the majority of it, but his presence is felt throughout, and that's something that actually develops as the range goes by. And it's, yeah. one that, I mean, it's, it's such a great book. I mean, we get Benny and Ace given a real chance to shine and work together, and. We've got. It's it, to me. It's just a great setting, and we've got a really good alien in the channel And I think the fact that they're so beautifully imagined in the cover as well that really helps sell it to you. So you're not left wondering what does it look like. What's it? What is it? We get this great impression as to what they are, and the fact they've got an, an interesting yeah. plan as well.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really good point about the um, minimizing the doctor's involvement because you know. I seem to remember what was he? Was it tran, was he in transit or was it Bernice that was running up transit? I can't remember. It becomes a sort of it's almost kind of like in a way seeding the the ground for when the books continued without the doctor after Virgin lost the license. It yep. sort of establishes that you know he doesn't have to be there for the stories to work. You know, I haven't read this book in about. I think I probably read it run about. It's probably the summer of nineteen ninety four that I read it. And that was that was the thing at that convention. Robert Dick and I were talking about it. The number of times we said to these authors, "I haven't read this book in nearly thirty years, but I remember that. I absolutely loved it." <laughs> and it's um, it's one that I remember just being. So some of the some of the new adventures that the, let's be honest, the quality at times could be variable. They were never bad as such, but writing styles are often quite different. They would often be structured, unusually. Um, you know, perspectives and point of views and stuff would shift occasionally. But I remember this one is just feeling, just not without wanting to, you know, diminish it in any way. Just a very easy, straightforward read, probably because it was proper Doctor Who. I mean, I remember everyone being fascinated about who Muldwich was. Yes. Um, I believe that there's been some. I believe it was eventually confirmed that he was supposed to be the Merlin, in inverted commas, incarnation of the Doctor. Yep. It wasn't, that's not really spelled out in, in Birthright. It's all left very ambiguous, but there's some stuff about how you know, the Doctor can't really interact with him and um, the TARDIS doesn't like them and stuff. And it's it's not overly implicit from what I remember, but, you know, you're given enough of a hint. And it was quite, I mean, this was obviously long before the days of, you know, Joe Martin's Fugitive Doctor or John Hurt's War Doctor. It was It was always quite interesting to get these little glimpses of what might have been and what might be. And as Kenny pointed out, the other day when we were talking, this was adapted by Big Finish quite early on as a, as a Bernice was a solo story, wasn't it?
0: It was. It was indeed adapted by Jack Rayner. I mean, for me, when I think of new adventures that I could quite happily pick off the shelf and reread, this would be absolutely one of the first ones that I would go for, because it is just such, as you say, and it's not in a patronising way, it's a good, solid Doctor Who story. You know what you're getting. It just absolutely works, Doctor Who, in that early 20th century period or late 19th early 20th century period it absolutely works for me it's what you hope for and it gives you exactly what you want
1: absolutely and it feels very authentic to the period i mean it feels like a, a you know you get the vibe of a sherlock Holmes story or a john buchan you know novel it's it's very i thought you know obviously with all sci-fi elements you know obviously do we want to give away the twist at this point or are you going to talk about yeah, the twist when you speak out. to nigel why don't we go to Nigel now, and then we'll come back and chat.
2: Okay, I'm Nigel Robinson, I'm the author of The New Adventures Birthright. And I was the previous editor of Target Books, looking after the Doctor Who range.
0: So did the commission for Birthright come about pretty soon after Apocalypse?
2: Not immediately, so probably about a year after. He'd had a gap to fill and just rang me up.
0: I suppose in the 21st century we're used to what we now call the Dr. Light stories on TV with the likes of Blink and Love and Monsters and Mm -hmm. then you pretty much get in there first with Birthright.
2: Well I didn't quite get in there. Uh, The thing was that David Banks had written a very doctor-centric book called, um, is it Heisberg? I said, yeah, th- so he thought that to counterpoint that we would have what you call a Dr. Light adventure with Ace and Benny. And he rang me up, asked me for a proposal, which I sent to him. And he came back and said, I love the proposal, but take the doctor out of it. And I thought he was stuttering in bonkers. Um, <laughs> but he, he was actually right. And it worked really well. But if you look at birthright, While the Doctor isn't there physically, he is uh, all all over the place, because he's manipulated everything in the past. He's moved around like chess pieces. It's very appropriate for the Seventh Doctor, that. Yeah, I actually actually love doing that, very much so, yeah.
0: So here we got the chance to have the Companions front and centre, and of course, Benny was still in her relatively early days, how did you find writing for Professor Summerfield?
2: I absolutely adored writing for Benny. Uh, Paul Connell, did a, who created her, did a very detailed breakdown of her character, which I thought was great. I loved the character from day one. It was so easy to write for her. It was actually more easy writing for Benny than it was for Ace, because Ace was so cliche by that time, but Benny was a fresh character. and She was great. She got a great sense of humor. Man. Uh, very intelligent, but she's her own woman. And she's got no um demons to battle, unlike Ace.
0: What made you go for a Victorian era setting? There's just something about that time that works for Doctor Who, isn't there
2: that it's, it's actually not a Victorian setting, it's an Edwardian setting, but I wrote it as a Victorian setting. No, don't worry, because I, I think it's a Victorian setting as well. But it's actually an Edward Edwardian setting, I think set in 1907. But I, I just love that period, the Victorian and period. I love it. And I think it suits Doctor Who very, very well. Look at the Towns of the Wang Chiang, which worked really well in that Victorian setting. Definitely does. Definitely
0: does. There you go. It's 90, I've just double checked. It's 1909. I just had a, a quick check. So where are we going?
2: 1909, right,
0: yeah. <laughs> did you do much research into the period or was it one that you knew suitably well enough?
2: I did a bit of research, but I didn't know the period very well indeed.
0: Excellent so we got the the plot strands going and um, that sort of uh, Jack the Ripper kind of feel to everything and it just must have been so much just having that freedom and that liberation to just go ahead and and yeah. paint all these pictures with all these words.
2: Mm. I love the Jack the Ripper Jack the Ripper bit quite a bit because I used to live in Whitechapel so I knew all the locations I knew the history of Jack the Ripper as well and I knew the legends of Spring Hill Jack and um the Golden Dawn, which is the cult I introduced, was based on um, no, the new dawn was based on the Golden Dawn, which was an actual cult led by Alistair Crowley. And the main baddie, Jared Khan, is basically based on Alistair Crowley. Oh, I did not
0: know that. That's brilliant. That's good facts. I like that that's what these podcasts are all about. Um I think we've got the the Charl, of course, very memorable at the time and that beautifully realized on the cover
2: yeah oh it's a fantastic cover isn't it yeah peter elson just um the child, um here, here's another thing that no one knows a child came to me in a nightmare when i was about 10 years old oh, no. i it? remember that, that, that they was banging on my bedroom door when i was 10 years old
0: that's that's it's funny how these things stick with us these sort yeah. of nightmares and things, but I mean, I've still got one where my hands turned to plastic. And like those yeah. cheap plastic swords that used to have in my hand was all squishy. And was terrified, it was just like a sort of like a silvery colour. It was, just, oh, I was terrified, but that woke up and made sure my hands were solid and most definitely are. I'm just wiggling my fingers to make sure it's definitely not happening. No, they are definitely real right now. Give us the, some thoughts, you know, bringing, you know, tying together the alien world of uh, Anticon with... Uh, is that the sort of thing that as a sci-fi writer you enjoy being able to come up with these these notions and how to make them work?
2: I've got to say that I wasn't particularly happy with the future bits in Birthright. I was much more happy writing the Victorian stroke Edwardian stuff. Obviously we had to have Ace in it but I thought, should I say this, yeah, I thought Ace was a bit of a spare tire in Birthright and it could have gone quite well just fo- focusing on Benny and keep the anti icon thing out of it. But it, it worked worth a lot in the end.
0: I also noticed that um, playing a part of the story is something that was, I suppose, still current then, was it because the channel tunnel was fairly newly open and it's by really having accurate. that as a as a connection point, I think that's, it's one of the things you look back at it from, from this point in time now and thinking, ah, there you go, there's a, a use, sort of the, the, ch- the channel appearing in Doctor Who. So we thought about just some more about the Charles. I mean, any other sort of influences on them? Other creations and things like that, just to tap into them to to realise them.
2: I don't really think so. But I, I was intrigued by the fact that they weren't necessarily evil. They just wanted to survive, as we all do.
0: Yeah, and of course the. The main character who introduced this one, who of course became a a fan favourite for many conjections and theories over the years, Mr. Mulwitch.
2: I knew you were going to get to him. Yeah. Right, um, first of all, um, which I'm not told anyone, I based his appearance on a character from Emmerdale Farn, so uh, do you know Emmerdale at all? I did watch bits of it back in the day back in the day there was the landlord of the wall I, I didn't watch it but I it was on TV when I was at home and the landlord of the wallpipe pub was a guy called Amos Brierley and if you google him I'm doing it right now go for it oh there we go yep that's Muldwitch
0: ah those sideburns or something else very Victorian looking
2: uh, uh, yeah yeah that, that is Muldwitch and I, I base his appearance on that did you realise at
0: the time that he was going to become a subject of so much speculation from fans as to just who he was, or did you originally intend him as a one off?
2: I, I intend it as a one off, but I mean, I, I tease the fans. And um, people say that Moldwich is the Merlin Doctor, um, if they like to think that fair enough, but he's not, he's a doctor. He's what? A 15, whatever doctor. He is. Doctor,
0: he is a doctor, definitely. I quite like that. The fact that the doctor's not in the book, but he is in the book, and um, right. it's uh, it's what because I never never particularly picked up on that. You know, on my first couple of reads, but uh, it's I think it's when other people start talking about it, saying, "Hang on a minute,"
2: all well, of <laughs> a sudden it makes sense. If you, if you look at it, um, the seventh doctor somewhere in the book recalls seeing killed the last lion on earth and so does Mulderich at the end but Mulderich quotes Peter Davison about his thoughts on tea from the awakening and he also quotes a line which I had in Apocalypse as well so it's obviously the doctor if you pick up on the on on the clues and the teasers
0: yeah well you got me definitely my first couple of reads I didn't get that but um ah there we go well done, Nigel. You got me. Yeah got me. Of course, we didn't have an appearance by the second doctor in this book as had previously appeared, of course, in Apocalypse. But we get to meet some of the family of Victoria Waterfield. Again, which is quite a nice be touch and it sort of gives the doctor a grounding story and makes things easier in a psychic paper way for everybody else. I so, suppose
2: yeah. I uh, never thought of Margaret Waterfield as psychic paper, but let's go for it. Uh yeah, my The reason I put Margaret Waterfield in, apart from being psychic paper, paper wizard, a lot of the the main theme of Birthright was how the doctor manipulated people. So he manipulated Margaret Waterfield via Victoria. He um, was also responsible for saving the life of a guy called Ernie Wright, who I suggest is Barbara Wright's grandfather. He helped a guy called I think Charlie Chuck Jack- Jack- Jackson, who I imply is the grandfather of Ben Jackson as well. So the doctor is manipul- manipulating people all the time.
0: It's lovely. It's really, really good. Um, um, something else that I like to stem with in terms of continuity stuff with the time vector generator thrown in there. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful device. And it's sort of mentioned once and never really mentioned again.
2: Everyone forgot about it, but I remembered it from the Wheel in Space.
0: <laughs> Let's um, go back to Jared Can for a wee minute, of course, because um, I believe he originally started off as a Scottish Piper and uh, with the Scottish collection, then obviously uh, he's changed through the years.
2: That was a bit, bit of a failing on my part. I just wanted to show how we um, progressed through the ages. Um, I was also into Thomas the Rhymer folk song at the time, but um, I think that's a misstep on my part.
0: Certainly, so, well, I thought it's quite nice to have an evil Scotsman in Doctor Who because most Scottish <laughs> people tend to be quite nice. I could, yeah, I could almost imagine sort of a a younger Peter Capaldi playing him in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since he's, he does do the dark and evil stuff very well, but uh, that's just in my mind's eye. Of course, this story was given an audio adaptation in the early days, of big finish. What did you think of that when
2: you got to hear it? Oh, I thought it was quite great, considering they couldn't use the Doctor and use Benny instead. I thought it was very good.
0: And Colin Baker, of course, pops up as a Pop-Off, off. I, th- I think it was a, a clever adaptation because I think, obviously, the fact the Doctor wasn't there, perhaps in person, but uh, I think it was quite a, a smart adaptation. I think it was Jack Rayner who did a, a good sterling job in that. I don't even
2: think I don't think that Big Finish actually asked my permission to do it first for. hope Present me, but I've got no problems with that.
0: As long as you get a, a few pennies through the post at some point, then I'm sure that's a very few pennies. Yeah, it's definitely early big finish in those days then, yeah. So looking back on it now, this is one that everybody sort of raves about. It's a new adventure that is basically, I mean, it's almost in some ways it is with, with no doctor in it, but the fact he's there, seeded throughout, and that is in some ways it's the, the typical new adventure but the fact that he doesn't really appear whereas he'd pop up in others and I think it's still one of my favourites all these years later.
2: No, I, I, I love writing it, I love writing it. Would you have liked to have done more? I would have done, um, I think I sent out a couple of synopses but by that time the management or editorial management whatever <laughs> at WH Allen Virgin had changed, and um, they just said no. Ooh.
0: It's That's a, shame. a shame. It is, because it's, um, I think, um, I suppose in some ways that if you've got out and high with birthright then from the range, so um, can't... Uh...
2: Also, I think that the new adventures were going in a certain direction which I probably couldn't follow, because I'm very much a straightforward writer, beginning and middle end. The others got very, very complicated. I thought I found.
0: Yeah, but uh, what have you been up to more recently, Nigel? In terms of writing, obviously, we know you've done uh, some big finishy
2: stuff. I've done loads of big finish. I've done some original big finishes, and I've done my adapted farewell, Great Macedon, and uh, the Masters of Luxor, and other things as well. I'm working on stuff at the moment as well. Hopefully, I'll be doing more stuff with big finish soon as well. Fingers it's- crossed.
0: Yep, fingers crossed we can talk about that soon and uh, have you in the pages of Vortex as well.
2: Oh, absolutely Good. right, yeah.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Nigel, thanks once again for your time.
2: No problem at all, thanks a lot.
0: There we go, thank you Nigel for that. Dave, let's have a chat about the big twist in this one.
1: Yes, spoilers listeners, if you haven't read or experienced Birthright, um... It's kind of revealed that the alien planet, alien planet very is that Ace is on for bulk of it, you know. Ace finds the channel tunnel, so she realizes she's on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Ages before, I think it was was it um Orphan Fifty Five did the twist <laughs> or I wonder how if any, if Lance Parkin was able to squeeze that into his universal chronology <laughs> <laughs> alongside Ravelox and such things. Yeah, it's um The old old Planet of the Apes sort of twist that you know, when when you find a bit of, you know, obvious iconography and and architecture that tells you who we are. But um, I'm in a process of attempting to read the last few new adventures for the first time at the moment, because I didn't finish them back in the day for reasons that I won't go into. So I'm rereading Return of the Living Dad at the moment to try and get myself back into it. But I'm already itching to go and give Birthright another go once I finish, because it's... It's one that 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 I always I always remember the the feeling of satisfaction that I got from reading it. You know what I mean, and that's that's I think that's quite good after so long.
0: Absolutely agreed. It's one that I'm just thinking. Yep, looking at it, and hmm. but let's have a quick before we move on. Just have a quick look and see what they said about it in I Who, as we've been doing with.
1: next yeah. Oh, because I got. I finally found my hopefully.
0: Oh, that's good. So, Dave, can you tell us on page 186 what it says at the end of the day?
1: Certainly. A crisp and good little story, if a bit unpolished in parts, the Doctor's not the lead, but he's ever-present, still pulling the strings and influencing the action. It's actually good that he's out of the way because Ace and Benny prove that, unlike some companions, they can carry a book on their own. In terms of focusing on these two women with only their wits and a dash of time lord help to aid them, birthright takes risks and wins. A work strong enough that Big Finish was wise to make it a Benny audio production.
0: Absolutely, they did indeed. Now, have you heard the Big Finish version, which is with I, Benny and Jason Kane?
1: I haven't. I own it. Bought well, it a long time ago, and I think one of the sales. But I haven't. Um, was, I haven't heard it. I haven't listened to it. It's apologies to all concerned. But they. they um, I'm right thinking they got Colin Baker in his mould. Yes. Uh, no. Colin plays Mikhail Vladimir
0: Popov. Right, I see. And this was just the fourth Big Finish release of all time ever, um, which was adapted by Jack Rayner, so it's taking out all the Doctor elements and effectively Ace's role is taken on by Jason Kane, played by Stephen Field, Benny's ex-husband. But pretty much the rest of it's, uh, it, it feels very similar. You know exactly what you're listening to. Obviously, there's no time vector generators in there, but we've got time rings. Mm. And, and yeah, it's... I think it's quite, uh, it's a good listen. I actually put it on last night before I went to bed and listened to it again in my morning walk today and was really gripped by it. Colin is fantastic. And Lisa, of course, is just perfect. Yes. The perfect Benny.
1: Yeah, because they adapted a few, quite a few of the, the Bernice New Adventures initially, didn't they? Because there was Oh No it Isn't, and I think Dragon's Wrath and Just War, I believe. Was that yep. right? Yep. I've got, still s- got Beyond the Sun, I'm sort of thinking. What was I think it? Yep. Do that, Beyond I the Sun
0: way. by Matt Jones, yep. And Walking to
1: um, Babylon. It's one of these ones that I bought a long time after it was released, probably in a sale or something, I just haven't got around to it. But I'll maybe, in spite of this chat, I'll maybe give it a spin. Um, it would be interesting to see how much that, that jogs my memory. I mean, that's the thing, it's it's crazy to think how long ago these books were in a lot of cases, you know, and more than half still retain that set. I know, i got going to know. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah, back, back in the fabled wilderness years, when we never thought the series would ever come back, yeah, and we've loaded black hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you know what, a photo popped up on my Facebook memories this morning from 2016. Yes, the, the amount of black hair that I still had in my beard seven years ago was terrifying, whereas <laughs> now it's, it's all not quite Uncle Albert, but it's much more salt and peppery. It's quite depressing. But anyway, we don't want to turn this into an old men feeling old podcast.
0: No, we don't. We don't. So there we go. I think uh, let's have a quick listen to a quick clip from Blood Tide, on audio. No, it's not. Let's have a quick let's have listened listen to a quick title. <laughs> <quick, laughs> yeah, and we could have a we a clip from Birthright as well. Yeah, let's <laughs> just do that. We'll, we'll put that on.
2: Jason. Yes, that's right. Crikey, look over there. It's that calm, geese. Stay where you are. Professor Summerfield, the charl must survive. The greatest race the universe has ever spawned must not be allowed to die. Fulfill your destiny, Professor Summerfield. Use the rings, Benny. Don't do it. Jason, help me! Professor Summerfield, open the great
0: divide, Benny!
1: No! This opening of this great divide, it is bad thing, dog! Benny! Very bad. Why? Ever seen a plague of locusts? My God, we must warn the authorities. The police, the fire brigade, anyone you can think of. Tell
2: them there's a, f- a fire, a bomb. Tell them it's the end of the world, but go and get them. Now! Yes, at once. Come on, Charlie. Um, Come on, my boy, you can run even faster than me. We must get to the nearest
1: police station. Don't do it, Benny. Benny?
2: Benny! Oh, it's all right, Benny. Just...
0: The hive must survive. Right.
2: The great divide is opening, but Shadow's birthright is assured. <laughs>
1: it is-
0: Answers, in the knowledge that with your deaths you have bought life for the Charo race, we can start our
2: next great migration. We have a new world. The Hive will survive!
0: So there we go, that was a wee clip from Birthright with Lisa Wehrman and Colin Baker. So yes, fantastic double act and a great adaptation. So that's us uh, come to the end of episode 7 in our mad month of books and um, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode this time looking at an 8th Doctor adventure, but which one is it? I can promise you it's one that we've not covered in Pieces of Ape yet, so there's a clue as to what it may be. They've stroking his there. now. Interesting.
1: Stroking my chin to look thoughtful for the benefit of our
0: YouTube viewers. Absolutely. And of course, you can leave comments on our Facebook page if you want to see what what you think about this episode and what you think about the book. And of course, please do leave ideas for future books or anything else you might want to see covered. So until tomorrow, I've been
1: Kenny Smith. And I've been David Steele. Take care. Thank you for listening. But before we go, Dave, you've got a question for me. Oh yes, also go was it got away with it, there, listeners. What are we playing out with today, then, Kenny? Well, Dave, I'm
0: glad you asked me that because, as you know, I do have a very, very bad taste in music, and quite a lot of it um, was early 2000s dance music. It came from my friend Jonathan, and I actually remembered this track, which is quite bizarre. It's from an American sort of rock-stroke dance act called Cell Dweller. And the track is called Birthright. What could be more appropriate?
1: So I was worried that you were going to say that you dug out something from Nigel Robinson's unsuccessful 90s indie band, and we're going to play it with that. <laughs> um, we should have asked Nigel what it's called. Much respect to Nigel, lots. But anyway, yes, listeners, we'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye.